the Nehemiah Entrepreneurship Community Podcast. I'm your host, Patrice Saget. This is an incredible show. Let me tell you this, first of all, this is part one. We're gonna, so I have with me here in the studio, a good friend, Dr. Joel Freeman. And we're gonna talk about this. Uh, this is not a book. <laughs> this is a library uh, that he just recently released. Him and, and some partners will talk about it called Black History. 360, an exclusive account of American history, black history. So our topic today is going to be black history 365. And we're going to go through this as much as we can today and we'll have them back to continue. Now, what uh, Dr. Freeman has allowed us to do today is this. If you're watching or listening, by the way, if you know educators, um, whether Christian, non-Christian, doesn't really matter, they have schools or operators or whatever, you want to right now, reach out to them to tune in. They are going to be blessed. And we're going to have a giveaway. So one of you, uh, we've, we've got a number. You don't know what the number is, between 1 and 100. If you type in the right number on your Facebook, uh, we'll be able to for you to get a free e-version of this library <laughs> of Black history at no cost to you for one year. All right? What you have to do, we'll give you clues throughout the show. You have to go ahead and type in the number on your Facebook link or whatever you're watching or seeing this through. This is only for our live audience, obviously. If you listen to this or watching this after our live show, obviously this will not work. But right now, if you're watching or listening, as we give you clues, you type a number. If you get the right number, here's what we need. The number, we also need your email address and your name. And if you're with an organization, what organization you're with, so that you can see if you're gonna win a free copy of ebook of this um, of, of this book library, Dr. Joel, I'm gonna read a bit about you because I think it's important for our audience. Uh, I I grew up in Washington D.C. You were a hometown hero, and people understand why when I read this. Uh, for 20 NBA season, Dr. Freeman served as player development mentor character coach for the Washington Bullets um, Wizards, um, surviving six coaching changes, having grown up in Canada. It was during this pure time, working with NBA players, that his rather unique interest in black history first emerged. And we understand why, because a lot of the black players, obviously. In 1995, he co-opted Return to Glory, which, by the way, this particular book was just, it, it just took off in the D.C. metro area, probably around the nation and the world, but I know in the D.C. metro area it took off. The powerful uh, strike, uh, uh, styring of the black race, basketball legend Julius Dr. J. Irvin wrote the forward, millions around the world have seen the film version of Return to Glory. It's available in Spanish, Portuguese, French, English uh, subtitles. And by the way, this is his later, his latest project. Dr. Joel, welcome to the podcast. Patrice, it is so good to be here. It's good to see you and uh, very excited about our conversation today. Well, thank you so much. You know, you really impressed me. You came and spoke to us once and, and, I, and I was looking at our book that year and we owe you an honorarium, sir. And you still stay my friend. You never asked for anything. So first, thank you for that. Really appreciate it. I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> completely. I love it. I love it. But um, first of all, uh, Dr. Joel, you have been just an incredible pillar for the D.C. metro area. 
in the area of faith, uh, culture, and just impacting the church and and economics uh, for a long time. Before Marketplace Ministry was popular, you were at it. So give us a big background. What got you into all of this? Well, um, I grew up in Alberta, Canada, and uh, left home when I was 17. I became a long-haired hippie, a dope-smoking fool, and uh, hitchhiked probably five or 6,000 miles on this thumb right here, all around North America. I had a conversion experience in, on September 10th, 1972, that just turned my life around 180 degrees. It was um, almost like a, a Paul on the road to Damascus experience. I mean, it was completely 180 degrees from where I was going. And uh, then I signed up for Bible school the very next day. I ended up uh, about seven years later becoming one of the first chaplains in the history of the NBA, as you mentioned. And uh, that's where my first interest in black history emerged because the players, you know, their position in life attracts a lot of insincere people. Insincere in the sense that they're always looking for uh, some, some angle. What can I get from you? And so for them to uh, be able to, um, to, to take a look at me as a white guy from Canada and to be able to uh, trust me and uh, they ask questions to, in, to determine whether or not I was worthy of their trust. And uh, what happened is, is um, it became something that really uh, caused me to start studying because I didn't have a clue. Like, you know, what did Jesus look like? What part did people of African descent play in biblical and extra biblical history? And so uh, then what happened is um, I, I met um, Dr. Walter Milton in uh, some two decades ago. And then two and a half years ago, he called and he knew I owned a, a black history collection. I've done two exhibits at the United Nations. We had over a million people show up. Three in conjunction with the White House. Uh, two at the Clinton Presidential Library. About eight uh, e events uh, with the Secret Service in downtown D.C. And a bunch of other venues. He knew all about this. And he just thought it would be a great collaboration to have a black man and a white man coming together to create this project. And, um, and then my interest in entrepreneurship emerged uh, many, many years ago. And because um, I'm always looking, when I talk with anyone, I, I'm looking at uh, uh, what is the gateway to connect with this particular individual and then to bring it to eternal matters. That is incredible. That is incredible. Now, um, when you did Return to Glory, tell us about the impact of that in the black church and black community in America in general. What did you see? And this is an actual copy of the book right here. Now you can see uh, Julius Irving wrote the foreword for it and uh, did it in a, with a gentleman by the name of, of Don Griffin. Um, this, this book right here uh, became a film version, which is now in French, Portuguese, Spanish, and English subtitles. Uh, we wanted to put it in those languages because of the colonization of Africa, we can reach pretty much the entire continent of Africa. And that film is in every international school library across the continent of Africa. Because I've done a lot of work around the continent of Africa with the international school community, the Association of International Schools of Africa. And, uh, and also done a lot of work with the kings and queens, especially in the western, uh, the western part of Africa, Benin, Togo, Ghana, and Nigeria, that region. And uh, about tribal conflict and those types of things. So this, this book um, really opened up the door to uh, uh, the film has been seen, film version has been seen by millions of people. 
And, um, and that's how, actually how I, I connected with Dr. Walter Milton, where he was in Springfield, Illinois, which is uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln country. And he was at the National Park Services. And this young man read this book. And then he contacted Dr. Milton and said, uh, you need to meet Joel Freeman. And he called me and says, you need to meet Walter Milton. And he kept bugging both of us because we were both crazy busy. And after a while, we ultimately connected. And, you know, here we are. Wow, incredible. Um, you are obviously a white man, but yet yes. somehow God has given your heart this, um, this sense of the black experience, its importance. You're also conservative, uh, Christian. Many of us conservative oftentimes don't understand the importance of black history, its relevance. What makes Joe Freeman unique? Well, I think um, I'm, I'm not sure how to respond to that question. Uh, it, uh, first of all, you know, politically, I'm, an, I'm a registered independent. I'm just mad at both party machines. Of <laughs> I just think I see the ineptness and ineptitude and, and, uh, and, and sometimes I wonder about the graft involved uh, behind the scenes. In fact, in, in the textbook, we have a picture of two trees, a red tree and a blue tree with the Capitol building behind it and underneath the root systems are shaking hands together. <laughs> and we talk about the danger of, you know, black people in the deadly dance with both American political party machines. But uh, having said that, I think that that may maybe is a unique characteristic in, in the way I'm wired. But also um, I grew up uh, in Canada and uh, where I come from, a little town of 2000 people, uh, I feel like I'm a throwback to the 30s. Uh, we had no television in our home, uh, and and uh, during the winter months from late October to early April, I was on the ice uh, two, three, four hours a day. We had nine ice hockey rinks in a small town of 2,000 people. Just wrap your head around that. And uh, and then I, I was always, um, you know, we had folks with horses, and we'd go gopher hunting, shooting in, in the, on the prairies, and it just was a, kind of a different type of a childhood. Uh, and so I don't have all of the images that people have in their minds. I remember when I heard about uh, John F. Kennedy being shot. I remember the, where I was in the town, uh, where I was on the sidewalk <laughs> when, when I heard about this, when someone told me what happened. And so uh, all of those images are, uh, are more in my head, not what I saw, the images uh, of what I heard later on. So when I left home, um, I came across the border to U.S. and it's it just like the whole race relation issue. It's like, what the heck is going on down here? I, I did, couldn't quite grasp it. And so I guess what I have inside of me is that when, when someone tries to use um, guilt or, or shame or anything like that with me, I, I let them try. And 99% of the time, I just, let it, I just blow it off. But uh, sometimes I'll just say to someone, you know, uh, I'm, I, something you need to know about me is whatever button you're trying to push with me, I just don't got that button. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, you can keep pushing away. It might work with another white dude here, another white guy in America here, but it does. it's not working with me. And I don't know if that's good or bad, but it is what it is. And so, um, you know, I have a different, perhaps a different sensibility about my, my, uh, the way I approach everything. In fact, even the way I got interested in black history was not the normal, you know, about the social just social injustice issues of America or the world. 
it was the biblical aspect. When I saw in Isaiah chapter 18, in this book here, we unpack it verse by, uh, word by word. And Isaiah 18 is talking about a racially uh, uh, a group of racial, uh, ethnically specific group of people in a uh, specific part of Africa. Uh, it's talking about Isaiah 18 about people from beyond the rivers of Ethiopia who are tall, smooth of skin, awesome to be feared from beginning onward. And so uh, that's, that's in Ethiopia, you know, that region of the world. So um, when I saw that there was talking, Isaiah was talking, um, you know, about a group of people right around 7, 750 BC, right around that time frame, people that were, would have a rise of unparalleled. In fact, Nahum 3, right around the same time, said that their, their power was boundless. Now, the Bible is not given to hyperbole or exaggeration. So I had to look for extra biblical information to help corroborate that to make sense in my little pea brain. And that's what, uh, what, what launched me on all of this is the Bible's view of people from beyond the rivers of Ethiopia. And it says in the King Jimmy version, it says that they, they're, uh, the power is boundless, but it says that they, they were terrible from the beginning onward. And so I started looking for all kinds of evidence. I found it in abundance. And then it talks about a rise of epic proportion and then a fall of epic proportion and then a return to glory. And uh, that's, what, that's what pulled me in. Now, the, the social and the justice issues came later, like the caboose on the train. But the engine of that train was the biblical frame of reference. And what I love about that point is that that is the redemptive approach, right? Because unfortunately, when we go at it from the social justice angle, we, we tend to get caught up in the in the pain or the issues versus being pivoted towards a, a solution and an outcome. And, and I think you're, you're absolutely right about that. Again, we're talking to uh, Dr. Joel Freeman uh, about this book, his latest project, Black History Month, Black History Month, Black History 360, um, in a exclusive of um, Black 65, sorry, three, let's look out to of American history. Uh, if you are, if you are able to guess the number that we have, a little hint uh, for you, this number throughout scripture is repeated in the Old Testament and the New Testament about, uh, about its significance um, so as, as, as far as leadership is concerned. And so if you're able to guess that number, Dr. Phil provides you a free ebook version of this for 12 for 12 months, one year. Just give us your name, your organization, your email address with the number. If you guess the right number, you'll get it. Uh, Dr. Phil, let's talk about entrepreneurship a little bit, and then we're going to get into the book. Uh, obviously, we're an entrepreneurial organization, work with entrepreneurs from around the world. From your vantage point, having looked at history in general, uh, having looked at the church, um, Tell us about what, what do you believe the importance of entrepreneurship in the context of Christianity and the evangelical movement around the world? Why is entrepreneurship important? Yeah, I'd like to say we have one, uh, I'll, I'll respond to that. We have one ebook license. So whoever gets the closest to this number between oh, that's right. That's right. we have one. <laughs> I don't want to be able to, I don't want to be on the hook for a whole bunch <laughs> to send out. <laughs> I want to clarify that. Um, uh, rephrase your question uh, on yeah. that. Well, let's talk about entrepreneurship. Um, you know, uh, kind of in the context of, of Christianity, uh, the globe. Um, do you do you? What's the role of entrepreneurship from your vantage point when it comes to 
uh, the advancement of the gospel? Well, I think that um, what happens is that, um, you know, we have many different methods that we utilize to, first of all, to live our lives, to, to reach out to other people. Uh, I, I ended up uh, writing this book called uh, If Nobody Loves You, Create the Demand. It's all about the entrepreneurial journey, taking an idea to the marketplace. And the main reason I wrote this is because, um, uh, you know, first of all, it's just as kind of a sidebar. The way I write books is I've taken an inventory of where my counsel is in demand. And this will be germane to your question. And so uh, I found out that people were calling me about, you know, I've got an idea, I've got an invention, I've got, you know, how do I, how do I take this to scale? How do I scale this? What are, what are some of the, uh, the basis? Just as you have, you, you've formed a whole ministry, Nehemiah, uh, because your counsel is in demand in that particular area. And, and you, you took it, you kind of uh, did what I did on steroids <laughs> and making it international. But um, what I see is that, uh, that God is very interested in the practical side of life. Uh, the, the way that, uh, you know, when you look at Jacob, when he's working for Laban and all the sheep and the goats and everything else, and the way they figured things out and the way Laban wasn't dealing with Jacob very, uh, uh, very well. I mean, he was tricking him all the time about his wife, you know, first Leah and then Rachel. And then, uh, then he'd say, okay, you only get this kind of goat and then God would, or sheep, and then God would figure it, figure it out, you know, and, and change the spots and everything else so that they were all Jacob's. And uh, so God is, I think, very interested in the practical side of things, of how are people going to function in, uh, in life. And so the opportunities, the, you know, the, the ideas that come and the way that engages the emotions, uh, the visionary aspect, the creativity, and creativity, and everyone gets ideas, and some are a dime a dozen, but it's the people who put hands and feet to those ideas, who actually come up with a business plan, who actually begin to start implementing it, bring in people around them that will help to give them a full 360 view of what's happening, and maybe take a look at the blind spots, the things that, that, that hinder them, maybe even the self-sabotage, maybe I'm not worthy to, to uh, be successful. And so then I'll sabotage my business in different ways through laziness, procrastination, and things like that. And so I think that, that God is interested in all of this. And I view that entrepreneurship, uh, there's nothing quite like it that helps a person understand uh, how to deal with objections, how to deal with personal rejection, uh, how to uh, uh, account for their finances, to invest wisely, to give wisely, to receive wisely and to apportion it out to various people that they know and love, and maybe to people that don't even know and love. Uh, when it comes to taking care of widows and orphans, I think the reason why those two categories of individuals were chosen is because they can't give back. And so it helps to test the motives of greed and, and wanting something in return. So all of this is built around the, the topic of entrepreneurship. And so it's, it's all about personal development, and one of the things I learned early on is I needed to be feeding my mind with uh, people who had ideas that I didn't have, that were bigger than anything that I could think of, that had to expand my mind and my vision. And then I found out very early in my life that I would be, uh, the way I'm wired personality-wise is I'd be excited about one thing, but I'd never finish it. I'd get something else would distract me and I'd get pulled in this direction, this direction, this direction. So entrepreneurial ideas became a way for me to learn how to, uh, to say, okay, whatever I start, I'm going to finish. 
And so I am going to be very careful what I start because <laughs> I'm going to finish it, whatever it is. Even if it was the wrong thing to start, I'm going to finish it. And so uh, to learn, I think uh, the whole entrepreneurial journey helps to connect us so many ways to growing and to expanding. And then you bring it into the missions realm and to be able to go to, to another country and have something that adds real world value, whether it's a, a cafe or, or uh, you know, maybe uh, developing a new, new uh, brand of coffee and then employing people locally to be able to encourage them. Maybe it's people making masks or some other tribal uh, things that, that, uh, that people around the world want and then and scaling that and bringing that out and, and helping people. Uh, maybe the microfinancing of opening up a, uh, a bicycle repair shop that costs $500 to, to start and then to have that person pay it back incrementally over time and then to learn what it takes to have an investment. There's no free lunch. And no interest needed, but just paying it back so that can be then used to help somebody else. All of those things are bound up in and around entrepreneurship, and I love it. Wow. I'm not sure if you guys caught this, but you made a point about self-sabotage. And I never thought about it this way. You, you talked about the fact that you start something, and because of you don't believe in yourself, because of internal issues, you sabotage it through procrastination, um, through laziness. And so could you talk a bit about that? Because because particularly in minority communities in general, not exclusively, one of the challenges often is that very thing, women as well, you know, that idea that because I don't have confidence, because of how I perceive myself based on what others said about me, I then start moving forward and somehow there's this psychological sabotage. Talk to us about that. I mean, uh, how real is that? And, um, and how do you overcome that? I think that what happens is, uh, you know, we're all inspired by stories of people who maybe have lost an appendage. Uh, or both arms, let's say, uh, or or someone who has um, maybe been in a, in a house burning and and they've had to have reconstruction uh, on their on their face or something like that, or someone that uh, has 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 palsy, you know, uh, for because of the, the maybe the fault of the doctor that d delivered the child and and now they've got uh, one leg that doesn't work properly, and. And uh, to see individuals that have overcome tremendous amount of, of odds, I think that the seeds uh, that we see in them uh, is that they, they sometimes look at whatever was a deficit as a blessing as, instead of a curse because it forced them to, to, to move to, to, other, to another whole other realm, a whole other level. Now, all of us have, have stories we can talk about, you know, of, of significant people, significant uh, authority figures, a uh, teacher, a parent, next door neighbor, an uncle, <laughs> a grandparent, uh, 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 someone at, at, at our faith community, someone who has said or, or a teacher that says, you, you really can't do that. You know, you might as well. I mean, uh, when you think about it, we're either going to work in fast food or in the military or uh or work for somebody else, or, or become an entrepreneur or something. There, there are a limited number of choices. And then you look at what colors your parachute, and we can say there are clusters of things of interest that people are drawn to, people-type business, uh, you know, working with, uh, with, 
technology, with inanimate objects, machines. And you have all these different categories, these clusters of, of job opportunities. And so what happens, I think, is that the, the biggest factor is what's in our mind. I heard a story just the other day about a, a gentleman who was homeless. He went in to get a job and uh, as a janitor. And the person said, okay, uh, I think you fit the bill. I, I just need a, um, uh, an email address to send you, uh, you know, your uh, uh, standard operating procedures, uh, health insurance, all the different information about the job here. And he says, well, ma'am, I, I just, I don't have a, I don't have an email address. And, um, and so uh, finally came down, she had nothing to send to him. And so he didn't get the job. Well, he then somehow he got some fruit he was able to resell the fruit, small small amount, which he then took the money and got more and sold that, got more, got more. He ended up getting a grocery store. Uh, he ended up becoming very successful. And then uh, someone said to him many years ago, it said, um, you know, many years later, and said, I'd like to send you something. What's your email address? He says, I don't have an email address because if I did, I'd still be working in that job. <laughs> you know, and, and it's just kind of, but the point is, is that, I think that when it comes to self-sabotage, there are messages that come externally that we uh, we will hold on to internally. And, and I think what happens is that uh, we have to fight against those things. And as a faith person, you know, it's, it's called dying daily. And it's, it's identifying, it's being ruthless about those things and just coming up against them and fighting them and, and uh, being someone of perseverance and never losing our sense of humor in the process. And that's that's the cool thing about it is that we can be, be people who are ruthless warriors who have a crazy, even a dark sense of humor about us, about life. And and then what happens, you know, my wife and I, we talk about this, that, you know, if, if, if we're having an argument, or say when we're having an argument, uh, a disagreement about something, if we're going to be laughing about this a year from now, Let's get through this and then let's laugh about it. <laughs> and let's have an appropriate sense of, of, of what life is all about. And, uh, and I think that the entrepreneurial journey helps to smoke all that stuff out. Uh, as long as we do nothing, nothing's there to, to, uh, to push us. You know, the people up in, that go up in this, into space, they have to do resistance exercises. You know, if I watch a video about exercising, planking, doing yoga or whatever it is, uh, you know, if I watch a video, it's doing nothing for me. I have to actually engage in it. I have to actually get involved in order that resistance is what brings about success in our lives, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and entrepreneurially, I think is a very important part. But in entrepreneurship, smokes that stuff out. And then we blame the job, we blame the economy, we blame uh, our town laws, we blame everything external, and and the people who who, who do uh, who which what they do after they're exhausted, those are the people who move into a whole other direction. Another thing is that studies have been done that when we have this curve, you know, where we're just beginning to take off, most people quit just before it takes off. This is good. I'm not sure if you guys are learning here, but this is good stuff. As a matter of fact, Dr. Freeman, you're not going to have to go to Africa. I know you've been there, but we're going to have to do it because as, as you're talking, I'm thinking, wow, combined with what you've done here, that combined with the idea of biblical entrepreneurship can free the African people. I, I really been my heart of heart. So we're going to figure that out because, uh, you know, whether it's Kenya, Congo, 
guys, be on the lookout because we're going to figure out how to bring him into the continent to really address, because one of the challenges, what you, that whole idea of self-sabotage goes back at the root of understanding your history. Because if you understand who you are, if you have a clear sense of where you're from, you are less likely to self-sabotage and most likely to press through uh, those challenges. I have a question for you, and then we'll transition to the book. I promise you that. You've, you, you've um, been able to really re represent or been able to effectively keep your faith at the core and bring about solutions in the marketplace that are beyond the church, that, that, that contributes to the betterment of African-Americans or culture, whatever the case may be. Let's talk a bit about that because I think oftentimes people of faith can be very narrow and not see themselves as innovators of culture more broadly. How have you been able to do that while still preserving your core as a man of faith? Well, it's, it's, uh, for me, um, you know, I think that it's so easy to get caught in this church echo chamber and, um, and that produces uh, some uh, unconscious, uh, some uh, confirmation bias and all the rest of it. So uh, I pastored for 18 years. You know, I was a chaplain for 20 seasons uh, concurrently during that period, uh, generally speaking. And so I know what it's like to be in the church community and the church milieu, uh, church culture. And I always measured what was going on internally by how many other people that are outside my faith, how many friends I had. And if, I, if all my friends are only people of like faith, uh, I began to check myself and, and uh, began to look at, okay, what, where can I, what can I do? I'm not a drinker, but then I'd go to a bar and I just hang out, order a Coke and just uh, talk with people. And, uh, and just to get to know people. And, uh, and so those are the kinds of things that I've always done in my life. Uh, Cross-culturally in our church when I was a pastor, uh, I never read a book about diverse, you know, uh, bringing diversity into the church. It's just people are naturally drawn. And then one, one evening, uh, one day, I, I reached out to all people, all black people in our church. And I said, I'd like to meet you on Thursday evening. And come on over to the church and let's talk. And we had a whole bunch of people and I had three questions. Number one, what drew you here? Number two, what has kept you here? And number three, what would hold you back from leadership here? And you can imagine it just that created volcanoes of conversation uh, that we talked about so many different things. My point being is that um, I think that when it comes to solutions, you know, when, when everyone was kneeling, NFL players, in American football, we're kneeling. I came up with a solution to the kneeling situation that made the owner, team owners, players, and uh, fans, and and the advertisers happy. I sent it to folks in the NFL, and I came to the conclusion that no one was looking for a solution. <laughs> and uh, I just uh, I just came to that because everyone who saw it said they'd be nuts not to implement this. And it comes to the hair care and beauty industry. I look around, I see 90% plus is owned by Asians. I'm not mad at Asians. It, it was just, there's a whole history there. But I looked at the predatory lending and cosmetology. I looked at uh, the different layers to this. And I've come up with a 10-year plan. It might even be done in about five years. A 10-year plan 
that um, to, to be able to take back the hair care and beauty industry, uh, top down, bottom up model. And I already have uh, about a dozen people now who have um, signed an NDA and we're working on that behind the scenes uh, to, to begin to, to affect this. It's a multi-billion dollar a year industry. And it is uh, hair care and beauty in the African-American community is as recession proof as gambling as alcohol, as prostitution, and as as um, um, let's see, uh, tobacco, and and uh, so it's something that has has real uh, stability from an economic sense, and then to have people at the top who are running it, looking for alternatives to chemicals for hair straightening, bringing an aqua-based hair straightening so that people in the industry can last longer than 15 years without their lungs getting cooked by the chemicals. And, and destroying people's scalps and, and to, to private label it and to, to cause something that, uh, that is animated around a story because Africans and people of African descent uh, across Africa, the only exception is, is, is Egypt, it's an oral tradition. And to be able to pass, to have a storyline that is built around a woman entrepreneur by the name of Annie Malone, to build the story around her. She built up a, a business with that over 75,000 women entrepreneurs in the early late teens and 1920s astonishing when you think about all the pressure from above from the supreme court on down and and the issue she had the concrete that was on top of her was um, overwhelming but uh, she was able to come through like a blade of grass and created a meadow of entre women entrepreneurs in a time when men were hired last and 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 fired first by black men and so those are the kinds of things that I love to look at. And, and this, with this textbook here, you know, to our knowledge, we have heard that this is the first time in the history of America that we have a full-blown K through 12 black history curriculum. Why is that? I don't know. But, and, and, and why Walter and I doing this? But that's the reflection. Because when you're, when you're in a jar, you can't read the label. And other people who are reading the label for us, we've been in a jar for two and a half years, 12 to 16 hour days, uh, like, like uh, the, you know, the movie Groundhog Day, day after day after day after day. I'm still uh, uh, trying to, to discover what it's like to be free from that. Uh, and it's still a little weird and awkward. But uh, for two and a half years, Walter and I were down the rabbit hole creating this now that is historic. Uh, and it's a solution, not the solution, but a solution to the education gap in America. Wow, this is incredible. So let's talk about it. So your timing is interesting. You've worked on it for two and a half years and you released it. I got my copy last year. Thank you so much for that. And you released it right at a time where America needed a social a solution to address our race problem. Now, Dr. Freeman, did you time this? There's no way we could have timed it. In fact, uh, we had cho chosen Juneteenth of last year, 2020, to be our launch date. And uh, there's no way we would have known that, that uh, the George Floyd situation would have happened around that time. And uh, we, we just, it just happened. And we- so You've got Trump, George Floyd, the police element that kind of went, and you, you've also got the pandemic, you got all of that kind of worked together. And it's as though you knew something was gonna happen in the future. It's, it's astonishing. I, all I can say is, 
is uh, this is our love letter to the world. God's fingerprints are all over it. And, uh, and we are just astonished. We now have a team of over 75 people, all uh, experts in their field, whether it's uh, in design graphics or uh, uh, the designing of a curriculum, SEO uh, funnels and search engine optimization and funnels and marketing and sales, um, professional development. Because if we were doing a, a math curriculum, we'd just be transactional. Just say, hey, two plus two equals four. Here's the teacher's guide. Give us our money and go, go do it. But we are dealing with issues that have vexed our country for centuries. And so we have to come alongside the instructors and, and help them to unpack their own stuff, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and then unpack the material so that people are not uh, caught up with being too militant or not militant enough, too right, too left politically, too up Pollyanna-ish or too down, too discouraging or, or uh, uh, negative or, or uh, you know, just shame-filled. And we have a razor's edge that we call truth centrism. And uh, Walter is black, and so he is the keeper of the razor's edge. It's his experience in America, not mine. And he's the trailblazer in all of this. And to be able to uh, come alongside instructors and help them to understand how to make this a truly student-centered experience. And I'll share this with you, Patrice, is that four things that informed everything we did with this textbook. Uh, and, and we're inviting people, because it engages all ages, but we're inviting people to, first of all, become critical thinkers. I don't know about you, but every time I use my cell phone and talk to Siri on here, I feel my brain incrementally turning to mush, my critical thinking skills. Yes. And so to, to invite people to become critical thinkers, compassionate listeners, two ears, one mouth, there's a parable there somewhere, and then to become fact-based, respectful communicators in the way they, they, they share their information with each other. And then fourthly, the first three we've been doing for decades and decades and decades, thinking, listening, and speaking. The fourth is built on those and perhaps the most important. And it requires that foundation, the first three, to become an action-oriented solutionist. And uh, even when Walter and I were creating this, this project, we'd have freak-out times. I'll show you this right here. This is an external hard drive. It says BH365. It fried on me. I lost. It took me two and a half uh, months to, to recover what was in this, this hard drive that, that fried. They couldn't get anything out of it. I freaked out for about four hours. I mean, I was beside myself. And this is just one time. And then what Walter and I did is we said, okay, we, our freak out times will only be 90 seconds. <laughs> but we will freak out and we'll freak out boldly. And we might even say a few bad words in the process but, uh, or think them anyway. And, but we will freak out boldly and, and, and grandly for 90 seconds. But on the 91st second, boom, now we have to come up with a solution. I love it. Let me tell you guys a bit about this gentleman, Walter. Dr. Milton is a native of Rochester, New York. He earned a Bachelor of Arts degree from the University of Alabama and Master of Science from SUNY College uh, at Brockport. He took postgraduate courses at the University of Rochester and received his master's certificate, including his, his uh, superintendent license. He has taught at several universities across America. He holds a doctorate in leadership and policy from the University of Buffalo. He has also published several books, including Professional Staff and Parent Perception of Parent Involvement, Me in the Making, One Man's Journey to Becoming a School Superintendent, Why Black Men Must Save Black Boys in America at School. Uh, I mean, it goes on and on. It's just incredible. An, an so he's an educator. So an educator, in part with a preacher, entrepreneur, 
come together to produce this, a black man, a white man, the way out of the, again, we're talking to Dr. Joe Freeman. Again, I'm not sure, you guys don't want this, this one year subscription. We're gonna keep it up. Again, the, the common denominator between Jesus Christ and Jacob, there's a common denominator between Jacob and Jacob with the number that we're looking at. Just take a wild guess, post it up there, give us your name, email address, and the organization, and you may just win this. You're the closest person to the number we have. Dr. Freeman, um, so when you think about what's going on right now with our nation, um, how important, first, how has it been received, first of all? How has it been received? I'll tell you what, uh, I call it an, a, 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 it's a, it's an, an educational earthquake that is gently rolling across the nation. Uh, right now we have, um, for instance, um, you have Denver school systems. You know, they have their state, their, their, their board of education there. And they looked at all other options and they chose ours, head and shoulders above everything else. Peoria, same thing, same scenario. And uh, because it's so thick, uh, we, the reason why we chose it to make it so thick, because most textbooks are no more than maybe uh, 400 pages. This is 1,248 pages. We could have made this three books, you know, three volumes. And actually increased our bottom line because we're going to charge more for each volume. But instead, we chose, we wanted to have people feel five and a half pounds, feel the gravitas of black history. <laughs> That's what we wanted to kind of just plop this on the desk of a superintendent and say, you know, take a look at the, them apples, you know. <laughs> but um, so there's uh, a statement in the size. Yes, yes. Wow, wow. And so uh, it's just like Apple Computer, you know, they, they, uh, they, they don't sell uh, iPhones. That's right. They're not selling watches. They're not selling all this stuff. They, they are, uh, they are actually, they're, they're, they're uh, reaching out to customers, to, to gain customers. But then the second thing is to awe them to overwhelm them. And I know people who still hold on to the boxes, their iPhones came in because the box is so cool. They're odd by it. And then to, uh, then to reach out to their customers on an annual basis to let them know what's coming next. And, and that's what we're trying to do is using that model. You know, they're a true $2 trillion enterprise now, but we're, we're, uh, we're trying to, to, uh, uh, to have something that is uh, engaging people with a real world, a, uh, a resource that is scratching where they're itching, awe them when they see it, and then number three to to reach out to connect, be connected with them with what's coming next and what's how we're apply how we're adding more supplemental material and those types of things. So right now this is is just taking off. We have music, we have forty one songs written and uh, lyrics that are that are sponsored. In other words, every chapter in this textbook has a summary in hip hop form. Wow. And uh, so it's 41 songs. It's like an anthology of black history we start in ancient Africa to modern times. So there's a gentle timeline to the music. And some who have listened to it have said, this could be the next Hamilton on Broadway. It's that good. Wow. And, and uh, within a matter of weeks, it hit number one on iTunes downloads in, wow. in the most difficult category of hip hop. Oh my goodness, this is incredible. You talked about the, your competitive advantage. You said there were, I believe, 12 or 10 key distinctions. Let's go over that. What are the 10 distinctions that makes this far superior from any of the competitors? Well, uh, first of all, it's, it's the, the collection. You know, what other, what other organization is going to have access, com, you know, uh, 
personal access to a collection. Educators are always looking for what original material are you putting in this? Uh, we, we don't want just the hackneyed regular stuff, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to downplay it, but it's Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, and you can name the four or five things every, every February that people talk about. So things that are different. So for instance, I have in my collection six, six genuine slave insurance policies. Think about that, six genuine slave insurance policies. And so we spend a whole, a whole uh, a section just talking about slave insurance policy and what that meant to this industry. And then also we have, um, we have, a, uh, uh, we have QR codes. So throughout the whole uh, book, we have these QR codes that you see here. And the QR codes are um, lead people. So they, what they do is they put their cell phone over the QR code. And then, then what happens is, is they come up, uh, they put the camera on, the QR code comes up, they then um, push on their phone and up pops a video, a film, or uh, a website. And there's over 2,000 of them. And we have a proprietary process that we use. We have an FTP site. It's, in, it's imperceptible to the user. It goes straight up to the FTP site, then to the target. If, the, if and when the target goes down, in 45 seconds, we can change it to another target or create a target for it if we want to. So that means that we can bake it into, we can, we can print it on paper. It's stuck. We're stuck with it. But we're now we're not stuck because we can point to another target. A dear friend of mine who works for Johns Hopkins, he's the head of their IT for the, their um, medical department. He's the one that gave us that idea and how to do it. We've never seen it anywhere else, This doing it this way. Then we have something called the elephant experience. And by the way, uh, just to give you an idea, you can open up this book as you have to pretty much any page in this book and you're, it's filled with images. Can you see all that? All the images. And uh, you get over 2,500 images and one fifth of those images, in fact, all these images on this page, these two pages are from my collection and stuff that people have never seen before. And so uh, then we have something called the elephant experience. So the elephant experience, uh, I'll show you an image of the elephant. It's kind of a funky, hippy-dippy looking elephant. Can you, I don't know if you can see that very well. Yep. And so the elephant experience, why the elephant? Um, what we're, well, first of all, it's the metaphor of the elephant in the room. Everyone gets that. It's, it's international. Hey, there's an elephant in the room. What are we going to do about it? So these are, we intuitively know this is, these are going to be tough topics. And so um, we have uh, throughout the textbook, just first of all, imagine you're at a Thai restaurant or a Chinese or a Mexican restaurant. You open up the menu and you look and you see a little red pepper next to a dish. You intuitively know that's going to be hot and spicy. Now, some people are attracted only to those dishes. Some are repelled by those dishes. And so what happens is our elephant is, is, uh, is our little red pepper to let the parents, the students, and the educators know we need to prepare you in advance before we start discussing this in the, the room because we don't want this to be a divisive experience. We want this to be a healing experience and use the Socratic method to become to individual collective understanding about this particular topic. Plus, we want to pry everyone loose from their unconscious, their, their, uh, con their, their uh, confirmation bias bubbles. So where there's a binary choice, we provide both views. So whether it's three-fifths of a human being, Uncle Tom, reparations, the N-word, um, uh, scientific racism, the doctrine of discovery, uh, are we in a post-racial society after a black president for two terms? Can a white person ever fully understand the black experience in America? 
um, you know, all these different topics, we uh, should we tear the statues down? You know, all these different topics, we provide both views. We never tip our hand in terms of what we're thinking and feeling. So it becomes a student-centered experience. And we train the teachers, whatever their agenda is, please step away from your agenda so that you can then let the curriculum do the heavy lifting for you. Another thing is that we have chapter check-ins where we reestablish eye contact with the reader and say, what are you thinking and feeling about what you just read? We then have, have uh, also at the end of every unit, we have a capstone experience. For instance, at the end of the first unit, we have the, have the, the students all come together and put together a virtual Black History Museum. So now they have to think, okay, what are we gonna do in the first room? What are we gonna do with the second room? How are we gonna set up the first room to make them ready for the next room? And what is the final, what's the takeaway of this whole, so it gets them thinking critically, talking compassionately, listening carefully and, and uh, to each other and, 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 and all the different aspects and then coming up with a solution together. And then also we have the music. Uh, we have, uh, I have a list here of things. Uh, I sometimes don't for, remember all of them. Uh, we have a sidebar material that's written in a more chatty. Uh, so anything that you see here that is, it, it is green. I'll, I'll see if I can find it right away. Anything is backed by green. Okay, here we have, we have something called um, Irish laborers killing an African-American worker. And it, it's all backed by green. And then you have something backed by yellow you immediately know that is going to be an elephant experience. So all of this is about the Jesse Washington lynching in Waco, Texas. And, um, and we don't blink, we, we walk straight into these tough topics, but the way we prepare the students in advance is that we, uh, the first class is not about black history, it's about the students developing rules of engagement made up of we will, we will not statements. They own it, they create it, they own it, and if someone breaks it, they determine how they're gonna handle that student. Uh, that that uh, that peer, and then the second class. Here is something from the mid 1800s. My collection. It's a talking stick, about 16 inches long. Here you see the chief, the king at the top, but he's playing a musical instrument. We know it as a kalimba, you know the, the the thumb piano. And so, if you notice carefully, he's got this instrument in his hand. And one historian told me he's at the top because he has preeminence in the tribal system but he's playing a musical instrument because it means that he's irrelevant to all generations. And he's communicating and connecting with everyone from young kids to a 99-year-old person in the community. And music has a transcendent quality to it. Wow. So we have that, and also we have uh, STEM. What's that, one What's that one called? This is called a talking stick. Talking stick. So, yeah, whoever holds the talking stick has the authority in the tribal council to speak. Oh. Everyone else must listen, has the authority to listen. So the student, now, does the talking stick comes with the material for the classroom? Well, we, you can see. Um, oh, virtual? You, we, we, uh, we, we show it in the curriculum. I, I, can't, I don't see if I can, I can see if I can find it right away. Wow. We have it in the curriculum. And then what happens is that I, I can't find it right away. But yeah. uh, what happens is the teacher in the teacher's guide, they they help the students understand, you know, about uh, what it means for good communication, feedback, asking open-ended questions, don't be plotting what you're going to say while you're listening to someone else talk, and those types of things. And then they're going to adopt eight uh, to ten of those elements. They'll come up with artifacts that help remind them about those elephants, like a like a button, you know, to, to open with each other. 
and then uh, uh, they'll fix that to the stick, and then maybe a feather to have wings to get to the point. And then what happens is that uh, for the first three, four weeks or so, they'll use it physically in, in the classroom. They, they will hold their talking stick, whoever's holding it will talk, and then they'll pass it on to the next person once they feel listened to. But after three or four weeks, it becomes a metaphor. Hey, Sally? Timothy's got the talking stick, and you know what that means. <laughs> wow. wow, incredible. What's number nine? Um, then we also have a Solutionist Academy. And the Solutionist Academy is that uh, we have, uh, uh, it's a situation where, um, okay, let's say there's a school that has an adoption cycle of five years. Every five years, they adopt a new social studies uh, uh, curriculum. And we're catching them two years into a five-year cycle. So they can say, oh, we love it. We love what you got here. But, um, you know, we're, we're two years into a five-year cycle. We have no funding. So we say, oh, that's wonderful. Uh, well, it's, here's what, how you deal with objections. <laughs> you already have it in advance. You, you, you know in advance what the objections are going to be, and you have a, uh, that's wonderful. We've got the answer for you. And so uh, our, our, our response is we've come up with something called the Solutionist Academy. And the Solutionist Academy is that we um, have an after-school or Saturday school program. You can use different funding. Here in the U.S., we call it, there's 21st century dollars, there's Title I dollars, Title IV, and even some Title IX dollars can, are available. So you got a pot over here that's empty, but over here you got some pots that are full uh, for this type of a program. Now what happens, they establish a beachhead in their school so when someone else comes along with another, another uh, uh, textbook curriculum, they, oh, oh, sorry, we already got that. We got that. We have BH365. And then three years from now, we're going to then adopt this. Wow. And then number 10. Number 10 is uh, we have uh, an advisory board made up of about 26 people. And what's important here is, is we did uh, a SWOT analysis, you know, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. We did that about two years ago on this entire project. And we knew with a, with a special emphasis on the threats and the weaknesses. And we, you know, thank we're thankful for the the, the strengths uh, for the strengths and the opportunities, but the weaknesses and threats—that's what we want to build this curriculum around. So uh, what happened is is that we we kind of wrap Teflon around certain aspects, so that when someone not if but when someone because remember we're dealing with issues that have vexed our country for centuries. There are people that want to see the destruction of anything that's positive and solutional. And so, because uh, 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 we are providing a solution, not the solution to the education gap in America. So when anyone tries to get traction, they can't get traction. They, they can try to claw at it. And so one of the things we figured is that when we come to a, a, um, uh, a superintendent or a key decision maker, especially a superintendent, and we say, oh, we've got this black history curriculum, you know, and, and you have little cartoon bubbles above that, that superintendent's head. And you see what they're thinking. You're thinking, oh, no, I'm going to get 150 angry parents calling me because they've got images of lynching in there. They, they talk about uh, tearing down statues and they, they talk about all these issues. Oh, no, this is going to be a, 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 a huge issue. And then, then we come back to them and say, by the way, what's that? The PR nightmare. Yeah. So then we come back and say, oh, by the way, uh, Smokey Robinson, you know, Tears of a Clown and all the different songs. He's the international. He's on our advisory board. Oh, by the way, Ambassador Andrew Young and uh, one of the the, uh, the the few living icons from from the uh, 60s, the uh, 50s, 60s, the struggle for civil rights. He is on our advisory board. Oh, by the way, Kathy Hughes, who is the founder of Radio 1 TV 1, one of the largest 
uh, African-American owned and operated and, and, uh, and connecting with African-American audience um, media empires in the country. Uh, oh, by the way, you remember Alex Haley and Roots? Well, Bill Haley Jr., his grandson, is on our advisory board. Oh, by the way, uh, Dr. Ericana, who is the former ambassador to the African Union, she's on our advisory board. Oh, by the and so uh, we begin to to share with this, and, and now you can see the the um, the t tension level comes comes from eighteen uh, down to maybe nine. Now they're in an emotional space where they can hear us. At 18 level of stress, <laughs> if we're on a scale of one to 20, you know, and, and at 18, they're in no place to even hear what we have to say. But we can bring that stress level down to a manageable point. Now we got bandwidth, and, and, and they're 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 picking up what we're putting down. This is incredible. My last question to you, Doc, and then we'll, we'll we're gonna have to have you come back, uh, Big Doc. I want to schedule him once a, once a month, just so we can go through this. This is good stuff until we kind of launch the thing. Question for you: uh, We have a lot of whites in our in our community, and many of them ask, may ask the question: Okay, what's in it for me? All right, you know why is this important to white children? My response to that is um, is first of all, uh, I'm I'm a big fan of curiosity. We've all heard of, of the purpose driven life. I live the curiosity-driven life. And curiosity has two aspects to it, two basic aspects. Uh, first of all, there's, there's momentary curiosity. You know, I can remember once I was in Piccadilly Circus in London, and there's a guy with a blue mohawk and he tats all over his face. And you could imagine every aspect of his body was probably had tattoos on it. And, and he told us it did. <laughs> and uh, uh, I was with a friend of mine. And now, I as I was walking along, it's like, It'd be very easy for me to just kind of momentarily go, whoa, you know, that, that's that's pretty interesting. I'd like to get to know that guy. But then life pulls you on to something else and then, then you forget about it. That's momentary curiosity. Now, I'm interested in 24-7 curiosity and the type of curiosity that is engaging us, not just nine to five, because most of corporate America is nine to five curiosity and people minding their P's and Q's, walking in eggshells, not getting in trouble. Uh, not creating any legal nightmares for their, their corporation or, or whatever, or, or faith-based community, whatever it might be. And so it's the whole idea of having a curiosity uh, that, uh, that is 24-7 um, that starts as not, is not just, uh, you know, going from 9 to 5, but starts again at 9, uh, 5.01 all the way to 8.59 and, and runs all the way around. And I think when it comes to this topic, I think it's important for a person who is of, of the, my hue, of lighter, lighter hue of skin, uh, to look at the benefits of curiosity and to, to follow up and to, to uh, you know, uh, to become a person that just begins to engage. You know, um, what happens is that, is that just like investment, you know, if I invest at a high risk level, I, my return is, high, is a high return if it comes through, pans out. If I'm, if I'm risking financially in an investment that's medium risk, my return will be a medium return. Uh, it, it'll have a band of medium. And then low risk investment is a low return. And so I live my life, I like to be in all three investments, uh, you know, um, uh, low, medium, and high. And I have a certain percentage of my life that I'm in a high risk uh, where I risk high with people and relationships. 
and I just tell them in advance, you know, I, I've got a lot of stuff ricocheting around my little pea brain of mine. And, uh, and would you mind helping to be my culture, one of my cultural guides? I know that your response is not going to be a monolithic view of all people of color, whether it's Asian, uh, Hispanic, um, you know, Native American or, or, uh, or, or African-American. Uh, but I at least am getting some other views. When I'm talking with corporations, I ask this, I tell them, you know, um, take a picture of your board. Who is on your board? And if you, if you have only one ethnicity and one gender on your board, you're missing out on a whole lot in terms of discussions at the table, especially if you empower people with other ethnicities, other gender, another gender to come on your board and empower them to speak without uh, fear of recrimination or, or kind of push down. And so uh, those are the kind of things that I encourage people to do. I can't live their lives for them, but all I know is that uh, I'm living most of my life at a high-risk level, and I get a high return in, in my investment. Oh, my God. This is incredible. Again, Dr. Joe Freeman, Black History and Exclusive Account of American History, a must-have resource, educators, individuals. I mean, this is for high school, junior high, elementary, but I tell you, this is, this should be all people in terms of, and we're gonna do the best we can so that we can keep sharing. They're gonna have them back. No one won uh, the, um, the, the free one years of Christian. When we have them back, we're gonna do it again. Again, um, there's nothing like understanding your own story that gives you the confidence and the perseverance to press through challenges. Before we allow Dr. Freeman to give our closing thoughts, if you want to get in touch with him, uh, team, uh, is there a website? Uh, where do they go if they want more information, Dr. Freeman? Yeah, it's, it's uh, you see the crawl, it's bh365. Ah, okay. But if someone wanted to write this down on a personal level, uh, you know, bh365, b for black, h for history, 365.org. But also my personal website is four words, Joel Speaks Real Good.com. Joelspeaksrealgood.com. That'll kind of give an overview and, and a personal way to get in touch with me. I love it. Put that up, please, if you can. Joelspeaksrealgood.com to get in touch personally with, with Dr. Joel. And we're going to figure this thing out. Uh, I'm going to talk to our urban team. We're going to look at hosting you at a webinar so that we can bring our Africans and African-Americans together and just kind of deep dive into this. And then God willing, bring you into Africa. So, we, I mean, this is critical. Actually, I mean, entrepreneurship really cannot truly manifest in the fullest without the context of history. Because biblical history without earthly history, it's, it, it's, just, it's just empty. They both got to work together. Thank you so much for that. So to get in touch with them, go to bh360.org or go to um, joelspeaksrealgood.com. Did I say it right? You got it. Yeah, bh365.org and joelspeaksrealgood.com. You got it. Hey, if you want to know more about the Neymar Project, how we can come alongside you and support you as you build your business, visit our website, nehemiahecommunity.com. Nehemiahecommunity.com. We have e-community centers popping up around the world that are training entrepreneurs just like you, helping those in business or who are looking to start businesses to build what we call kingdom companies, businesses that are realizing quadruple bottom line. What our website about our training program, about our coaching program, about our extra capital, and about how to join the community of entrepreneurs that are transforming the world together. Dr. Joel, uh, many entrepreneurs, individuals faced a tough time in 2020. 
Many are nervous about 2021. What will it encourage me to give them as we wrap up as they consider what God has for them this year? First of all, I just want to give a shout out to what you're doing, because I, I think that's part of the answer. And part of my response is um, I think it's important to get the tools, the skills. I mean, the, the way that you have broken things down in bite sized chunks and, uh, uh, you know, given people an, a way to put their big toe in the water and then their whole foot and then their ankle and, and get into the water of entrepreneurial living that journey, you know, you got to start somewhere and uh, you, you provide some great starting points, midpoints. And, uh, and it's, of course, it's not the destination, it's the essence of the journey. And I, I think you do a great job. And I think that's a very important component for people uh, making sense out of how to connect with things in, during these difficult times. And I want to close with this, with two more things. I want to give a, a, a say a, a thank you to uh, Dr. Walter Milton. Uh, he, out of, I mean, I just, when I think about doing this project with uh, different, you know, there's so many different options out there. Dr. Milton, I can't think of anyone else I would rather do this project with than Dr. Milton. And then the second, uh, also, I want to give a shout out to my wife, Shirley, uh, because you can imagine two and a half years of going down the rabbit hole, 20, 12, 16 hour days. It was crazy. I mean, we, we still led our educational tours to Israel led our educational tours to Greece in the fall and the spring. We still went on cruises. We still did this and that. But, uh, but for the most part, every other waking hour, I was involved with this on some level. And, uh, and, and when I was with her, I didn't have a whole lot of energy for her to, to talk about stuff that she was interested in. So I just took, spent most of the last month in Barbados thanking her, thanking her, thanking her. Whatever you want to do in Barbados, that's what we're going to do just thanking her for her kindness and her understanding. And finally, um, I would say this, um, Augustine back in the fourth century, he said, he said, seek to understand before seeking to be understood. And I just want to think about those words, seek to understand before seeking to under be understood. It doesn't preclude the need to be understood. It doesn't even guarantee that we will be understood. But I think it's important that we are people who seek to understand. And that's by asking open-ended questions and having the curiosity to want to ask those questions, uh, having the engagement with people, getting out of our self-centeredness, our self-absorption, and reaching out any way we can, writing notes of appreciation uh, and, and uh, getting on Zoom calls with people, making phone calls, getting outside of our comfort zones but seek to understand. I think if everyone in our viewing, listening audience would spend the next, uh, uh, development of psychologists tell us that if we spend 28 days on something, we can form a habit. And so I'd just add another two days, 30 days with spouse, with kids, with people next door neighbors, all around us, faith community, work community, everyone seek to understand everyone around us before seeking to be understood. I think that, that uh, in our own spheres of influence, we can change, be change agents for good. Wow, good words. With that, we're gonna bring Dr. Freeman back. This, this, um, the, uh, the, the test or the uh, opportunity ends here. You're gonna have to come back and listen to me live. We want somebody actually acting on the live to get the free one year subscription. So be on the lookout and we have him back. Let me pray for you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord enable you to steward those talents, those gifts that are under your care, and to steward them in such a way that one day, like 
Dr. Freeman, you'll hear those wonderful words. Well done. Good and faithful servant. You've been faithful for a few things. Guess what? You'll not make your rule over much. God bless you. Doc, thank you so much. We'll have you back. Thank you so much. This means a lot.